podcastul de azi. Continuare, unde am rămas data trecută. Citim din Jung, Man and Symbols, The Self, Symbols of Totality. When the stone is polished, it will begin to shine like a mirror so that the bear can see herself in it. This means that only by accepting earthly contact and suffering can the human soul be transformed into a mirror in which the divine powers can perceive themselves. But the dreamer runs away to a higher plane, into all sorts of reflections by which he can escape the demands of life. The dream then shows him that if he runs away from the demands of life, one part of his soul, his anima, will remain undifferentiated, a fact symbolized by the group of nondescript women that splits apart into a primitive half and a more civilized one. The lioness and her son, which then appear on the scene, personify the mysterious urge toward individuation indicated by their work at shaping the round stones. A round stone is a symbol of the self. The lions, a royal couple, are in themselves a symbol of totality. In medieval symbolism, the philosopher's stone, a preeminent symbol of man's wholeness, is represented as a pair of lions or as a human couple riding on lions. Symbolically, this points to the fact that often the urge toward individuation appears in a veiled form, hidden in the the overwhelming passion one may feel for another person. In fact, passion that goes beyond the natural measure of love ultimately aims at the mystery of becoming whole and this is why one feels when one has fallen passionately in love that becoming one with the other person is the only worthwhile goal of one's life. In dreams a mirror can symbolize the power of the unconscious to mirror the individual objectively, giving him a view of himself that he may never have had before. Only through the unconscious can such a view, which often shocks and upsets the conscious mind, be obtained. (coughs) Just as in Greek myths, the Gorgon Medusa, whose look turned man to stone, could be gazed upon only in a mirror. Above, Medusa reflected in a shield, a painting by the 17th century artist Caravaggio. As long as the image of totality in this dream expresses itself in the form of a pair of lions, it is still contained in some such overwhelming passion. But when lion and lioness have turned into a king and queen, the urge to individuate has reached the level of conscious realization and can now be understood by the ego and being the real goal of life. Before the lions had transformed themselves into human beings, it was only the primitive women who sang, and they did so in a sentimental manner, 
That is to say, the feelings of the dreamer remained on a primitive and sentimental level. But in honor of the humanized alliance, both the primitive and the civilized women chant in a common hymn of praise. Their expression of their feelings in a united form shows that the inner split in the anima has now changed into inner harmony. Still another personification of the self appears in a report of a woman's so-called active imagination. Active imagination is a, in a, is a certain way of meditating imagine, imaginatively by which one may deliberately enter into contact with the unconscious and make a conscious connection with the psychic phenomena. Active imagination is among the most important of Jung's discoveries, while it is in a sense comparable to Eastern forms of meditation, such as the technique of Zen Buddhism or the Tantric Yoga, or to Western techniques like those of the Jesuit Exercitia, Exercitia, it is fundamentally different in that the meditator remains completely devoid of any conscious goal or program. Thus the meditation becomes the solitary experiment of a free individual, which is the reverse of a guided attempt to master the unconscious. This, however, is not the place to enter into a detailed analysis of active imagination. The reader will find one of Jung's descriptions of it in his paper on the transcendent function. In the woman's meditation, the self appeared as a deer which said to the ego, I which said to the ego, I am your child and your mother. They call me the connecting animal because I connect people, animals and even stones with one another if I enter them. I am your fate or the objective I. When I appear, I redeem you from the meaningless hazards of life. The fire burning inside me burns in the whole of nature. If a man loves it, he becomes egocentric, lonely, disoriented and weak. The self is often symbolized as an animal representing our ins instinctive nature and its connectedness with one's surroundings. That is why there are so many helpful animals in myths and fairy tales. This relation of the self to all surrounding nature and even the cosmos probably comes from the fact that the nuclear atom of our psyche is somehow woven into the whole world, both outer and inner. All the higher manifestations of life are somehow tuned to the surrounding space-time continuum. Animals, for example, have their own special foods, their particular home-building materials and their definite territories, to all of which their instinctive patterns are exactly tuned and adapted. Time rhythms also play their part. We have only to think of the fact that most grass-eating animals have their young at precisely the time of year when the grass is richest and most abundant. 
With such considerations in mind, a well-known zoologist has said that the inwardness of each animal reaches far out into the world around it and psychifies time and space in ways that are still completely beyond our comprehension our unconscious is similarly attuned to our surroundings to our group to society in general and beyond these to the space-time continuum and the whole of nature thus the great man of the Nak Naskapi Indians does not merely reveal inner truths he also gives hints about where and when to hunt. And so from dreams the Naskapi hunter evolves the, wor the words and melodies of the magical songs with which he attracts the animals. But this specific help from the unconscious is not given to primitive man alone. Jung discovered that dreams can also give a civilized man the guidance he needs in finding his way through the problems of both his inner and his outer life. Indeed, many of our dreams are concerned with details of our outer life and our surroundings. Such things as the tree in front of the window, one's bicycle or car or a stone picked up during a walk may be raised to the level of symbolism through our dream life and become meaningful. If we pay attention to our dreams instead of living in a cold impersonal world of meaningless chance, we may begin to emerge into a world of our own, full of important secretly ordered events. Our dreams, however, are not, as a rule, primarily concerned with our adaptation to outer life. In our civilized world, most dreams have to do with the development by the ego of the right inner attitude toward the self, for this relationship is far more disturbed in us by modern ways of thinking and behaving than is the case with primitive people. They generally live discreetly, directly, from the inner center, but we, with our uprooted consciousness, we are so entangled with external, completely foreign matters, that it is very difficult for the messages of the self to get through to us. Our conscious mind continuously creates the illusion of a clearly shaped real outer world that blocks off many other perceptions. Yet, through, uh, through our unconscious nature, we are inexplicably connected to our psychic and physical environment. I have already mentioned the fact that the self is symbolized with special frequency in the form of a stone, precious or otherwise. We saw an example of this in the stone that was being polished by the she-bear and the lions. In many dreams, the nuclear center, the self, also appears as a crystal. The mathematically precise arrangement of a crystal evokes in us the intuitive feeling that even in so-called dead matter, there is a spiritual ordering principle at work. 
Thus, the crystal often symbolically stands for the union of extreme opposites of matter and spirit. Perhaps crystals and stones are especially apt symbols of the self because of the just soness of their nature. Many people cannot refrain from picking up stones of a slightly unusual color or shape and keeping them without knowing why they do this. It is as if the stone held a living mystery that fascinates them. Men have collected stones since the beginning of time and have apparently assumed that certain ones were the containers of the life force with all its mystery. The ancient Germans, for instance, believed that the spirits of the dead contained, continued to live in their tombstones. The custom of placing stones on graves may spring Partly from the symbolic idea that something eternal of the dead person remains, such as, no, which can be most fittingly represented by a stone. Something eternal of the dead person remains. Stones are frequent images of the self because they are complete, unchanging and lasting. Some Hindus pass from father to son stones, believed to have magical powers. Often the self is represented as a helpful animal, a symbol of the psyche's instinctual basis. Top left the magic fox of Grimm's fairy tale the golden bird, left the Hindu monkey god Hanuman, carrying the gods Siva and Parvati in his heart. For a while the human being is as different as possible from a stone, yet man's innermost center is in a strange and special way akin to it, perhaps because the stone symbolizes more existence at the farthest remove from the emotions, feelings, fantasies and discursive thinking of ego-consciousness. In this sense, the stone symbolizes what is perhaps the simplest and deepest experience the experience of something eternal that man can have in those moments when he feels immortal and unalterable. The urge that we find in practically all civilizations to erect stone monuments to famous men or on the site of important events probably also stems from this symbolic meaning of the stone. The stone that Jacob placed on the spot where he had his famous dream, or certain stones left by simple people on the tombs of local saints or heroes, show the original nature of the human urge to express an otherwise inexpressible experience by the stone symbol. It is no wonder that many religious skulls use a stone to signify God or to mark a place of worship. The holiest sanctuary of the Islamic world is the Kaaba, Ka 
the black stone in Mecca to which all pious Mos Muslims hope to make their pilgrimage. According to Christian ecclesiastical symbolism, Christ is the stone that the builders rejected, which became the head of the corner. Luke 20, 17. Alternatively, alternatively, he is called the spiritual rock from which the water of life springs. 1 Corinthians X 2.4 Medieval alchemists who searched for the secret of matter in a pre-scientific way, hoping to find God in it, or at last to the working of divine activity, believed that this secret was embodied in their famous philosopher's stone. But some of the alchemists dimly perceived that their much sought-after stone was a symbol of something that can be found only within the psyche of man. An old Arabian alchemist, Morienus, said, This thing, the philosopher's stone, is extracted from you. You are its mineral and one can find it in you. Or, to put it more clearly, they, the alchemists, take it from you. If you recognize this, the love and approbation of the stone will grow within you. Know that this is true without doubt. The eternal quality of stones can be seen in pebbles or, or mountains. Left rocks beneath Mount Williamson, California. Thus, stone has always been used for memorials, like the heads of four U.S. presidents above, carved in the cliff face of Mount Rushmore, South De Dakota. The alchemical stone, the lapis, symbolizes something that can never be lost or dissolved something eternal that some alchemists compared to the mystical experience of God within one's own soul. It usually takes prolonged suffering to burn away all the superfluous psychic elements concealing the stone, but some profound inner experience of the self does occur to most people at least once in a lifetime. From the psychological standpoint, a genuinely religious attitude consists of an effort to discover this unique experience and gradually to keep in tune with it. It is relevant that a stone itself, a stone is itself something permanent, so that the self becomes an inner partner toward whom one's attention is continuously, continually turned. The fact that this highest and most frequent symbol of the self is an object of inorganic matter points to yet another field of inquiry and speculation. That is the still unknown relationship between what we call the unconscious psyche and what we call matter, a mystery with which psychosomatic medicine endeavors to grapple. In studying this still undefined and unexplained connection, it may prove to be that psyche and matter are actually the same phenomenon, 
one observed from within and the other from without. Dr. Jung puts forward a new concept that he called synchronicity. This term means a meaningful coincidence of outer and inner events that are not themselves ca casually connected. The emphasis lies on the word meaningful. It, if an aircraft crashes before my eyes as I am blowing my nose, this is a coincidence of events that has no meaning. It is simply a chance occurrence of a kind that happens all the time. But if I bought a blue frock and by mistake the shop delivered a black one on the day one of my near relatives died, on the day one of my near relatives died, this would be a meaningful coincidence. The two events are not casually related but they are connected to the symbolic meaning that our society gives to the color black. Whatever Dr. Jung observed such meaningful where wherever Dr. Jung observed such meaningful coincidences in an individual's life, it seemed as the individual's dreams revealed that there was an archetype activated in the unconscious of the individual concerned. To illustrate this by my example of the black frog. In such a case, the person who receives the black frog might also have had a dream on the theme of death. It seems as if the underlying archetype is manifesting itself simu simultaneously in inner and external events. The common denominator is a symbolically expressed message in this case, a message about death. As soon as we notice that certain types of events like to cluster together at certain times, we begin to understand the attitude of the Chinese, whose theories of medicine, philosophy and even building are based on a science of meaningful coincidences. The classical Chinese texts did not ask what causes what, but uh, rather what likes to occur with what. One can see much the same underlying theme in astrology and in the way various civilizations have depended, depended on consulting oracles and paying attention to omens. All of these are attempts to provide an explanation of coincidence that is different from one that depends on straightforward cause and effect. In creating the concept of synchronicity, Dr. Jung sketched a way in which we might penetrate deeper into the interrelation of psyche and matter, and it is precisely towards such a relation that the symbol of the stone seems to point, but this is still a completely open and insufficiently explored matter with which future generations of psychologists and physicists must deal. It may seem that my discussion of synchronicity had led me away from my main theme, but I feel it is necessary to make at least a brief introductory reference to it because it is a Jungian hypothesis that seems to be pregnant with future possibilities of investigation and application. Synchronistic events, moreover, almost invariably accompany the crucial phases of the process of individuation, 
but too often they pass unnoticed because the individual has not learned to watch for such coincidences and not and to make them meaningful in relation to the symbolism of his dreams. Thank you for listening.